Welcome to the Wild Grand Rapids message of the week. We hope you're encouraged, strengthened, and experience the presence of God through this message by Pastor Matthew Fuller. Oh man, what a sweet presence in this place this morning. Thank you, Jesus. I was uh, thinking yesterday as I was just spending some time with the Lord, asking him what's on his heart for our congregation. And I was just overwhelmed with gratitude of the hunger in this room, of the community that we get to run with. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I had, uh, I had a really busy week, and I, and I honestly, I've, I had forgotten about what happened last Sunday. And I was just going through the motions of the week, and I looked back and thought back of, of this community. And for those that weren't here, we ended up having like a, I think it was about three hours by the time it was done, a three-hour service. We got out of here around one o'clock. And uh, it ended, the service, the service was over, and then there was a call for repentance, and people just didn't leave. <laughs> there, there was just such a hunger in this place. And, and I believe that that's just a, the state of the heart that the Lord wants us to live in on a daily basis, right? Like that's not, we, we, you know, we all talked about afterwards, like this, let's just not let this be an experience. Let not, this just be a moment, a, an emotional good time, but that our hearts would truly be set ablaze and tilted toward the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to be walking with a group of people like this and Excited to be able to, to continue to see what it is that, that he's going to do throughout our community. Let's just give him a big shout. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to continue on in our Kingdom Culture uh, series this morning. I just want to share a little bit of what, what's been going on in my life and what's going on in my heart. Uh man, there's a lot, there's a lot, but he's good, he's faithful, and I'm excited to be with you all today. If you would turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter one, we're going to start right at the beginning of this thing. You know, the kingdom was never meant for a service alone, it was never meant to be contained within four walls, it is meant to expand, to be an ever-increasing kingdom that knows no end. The reign of his government will continue to expand throughout the universe for all of eternity. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is all-powerful, the one who has never, never been afraid, has never worried about tomorrow. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Alpha, the Omega. This is the God that we serve whose life are, we are hidden in. The one who brought us from dead to life, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords. So I was thinking about this, this series that we find ourselves in of kingdom culture. This Bible, I just got this Bible back in March, and you can tell it's not fully broken in yet. I, this is going to drive me nuts all service if I can't just open it up and let it lay flat. I'm going to be borrowing somebody's Bible here in a minute. But I was thinking about this kingdom culture, and I was reflecting upon the life of Ruth. Uh, if, for those of you that don't know, I'm gonna just going to, you will stay open. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm going to screw up my translation, though. This is it, NKJV? All right. 
I got ESV rolling up here too. All right, let's see what we can do. Let's see which is better. The battle of the translations begins. Um, so Ruth was the daughter-in-law of a woman named Naomi. Now, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, were from Bethlehem, and they had settled in a country of Moab. Now, the two of them had two sons that were married to Ruth and a, a, another lady. I can't remember her name right now. I think it was Orpha. And um, there was a famine that took place in Moab. And as a result, Ruth, or Naomi's husband and her two sons passed away because of the famine that took place. And now, Ruth, this is actually, I'm just going to stick with it. Thank you for this. I might come back to it. But Ruth and, uh, Ruth and the other daughter-in-law were all grieving. And Naomi said to the two of them, they said, hey, look, you owe me nothing any longer. Please just go back to your mother's house. You, you don't have to stay with me. You are released from this family. And the two of them go, no, we want to stay with you. Please don't make us go back. And Naomi says to them, please, it, is, it will be continual sorrow with me if, I keep, if you stay with me. I will continuously be reminded of the loss that took place in my life. And Ruth says this to her in verse uh, 15. She says, and she said, this is actually Naomi first to Ruth, says, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So one of the two daughter-in-laws had left, had gone home. And the, but Ruth says this back, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that, she was determined to go with her and she said no more. So Naomi and Ruth then make a journey from the land of Moab back to Bethlehem because they had heard that the Lord was continuing to bless the Israeli people with crops in their land. And so they, they go back to Bethlehem. Now let's skip down to chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, now let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So now gleaning at this time was a law that was instituted to the Jewish people given by the Lord himself as a sense of social welfare, if you will. Gleaning took place in the field where, where the workers, those that, had, that were poor, were allowed to follow the reapers of the grain in the field. And the reapers were commanded that they were not allowed to go back through the field a second time to get any extra grain that they missed. It, they were to leave it on the ground so that then those that were poor could go and they could get the grain. And they were also commanded to not uh, harvest all the way to the edges of the field, but to leave a little bit left so that, they could, so that the poor could go 
go and, and get that grain. So if you think of it, it's, it's kind of like it's a, it's a method of, of welfare for the poor, but also allows them the dignity of work. So that those that, that were poor were able to go out, if they had the ambition, they could go out into the field and to glean from the extra grain that was left behind. Now think, and remember this though, these people were farmers. They, this was their life. This is how they ate. They didn't do commerce and buy. They, bought, they went out and they were, they were continuously farming their land. So they were experts in what they did. The reapers that went out, they weren't intentionally leaving things behind. So it was still difficult work for those that were poor to have to go and find, to follow the experts that were harvesting the field to find any grain that they left behind. And as they would go and they would chop the grain, they would then put them in bundles that they called sheaves. And the poor would then have to search through, and they weren't allowed to touch the sheaves that were left behind, but they, were, they had to sort through the ground and find and see if there was any extra grain that was left behind. And so she says, let me go out into the field so that I can glean. And she says, go, my daughter. So she sent out, went and gleaned in the field of the reapers. Skip down verse four. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth had a little bit of ambition in her. She was willing to go from very early morning all the way into the night to go and seize the opportunity that was given for her to, to glean that grain. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So we have... Three different people in this, uh, this scenario, in this story, that are doing very natural things. So we have first Naomi. She had just lost her husband and her sons and was, had traveled back to Bethlehem with Ruth. And Ruth says, hey, please let me go and glean in this field. Now, hearing that, it's like, oh, that absolutely makes sense. But Naomi had to have a sense of bravery, of courage, of trust in the Lord to even allow Ruth to go out into that field. See, in that time, it was very common that if a, if a foreign woman that was single was out in the field gleaning, then it was very common for her to be taken and to be sexually assaulted, to actually be... Uh, 
for all, the, to be sexually assaulted, there's a lot of children in the room, so I'm not gonna go into too many details, but what would take place is they would force these women to either become their husband or they would have their way with them, use them as a piece of property and throw them back out in their shame. And so Naomi, the woman that had just lost everybody in her life, had made this decision to trust in the Lord. She says, the Lord, let his favor be with you. She puts her eyes on God and trusts that Ruth is gonna be taken care of. And we know then that Ruth goes and and Boaz gives favor to her. So then Ruth, we have this woman that is doing a very natural thing. She is in the field gleaning for sustenance. She is taking the opportunity that is given to her and doing everything she can to seize that opportunity. She's diligent in the work of her hands. You see, I believe that oftentimes we look and we say, God, please, I I need provision. I need you to move in my life. And we're waiting, we're checking our bank account, we're looking in the mailbox, hoping for a check to come in the mail. Hallelujah when those checks come in the mail and when money appears in the bank account. But we need just as many eyes to see the opportunities that the Lord gives us in our lives. You see, this was a supernatural law that was instituted by God himself to allow gleaning to take place in the field. And a very natural thing to go out into that field and to harvest the grain. So she is taking something that is natural and partnering with a supernatural God. And seeing the provision that has taken place. See, this is all great and good. She was able to eat. But then we have Boaz that, again, he hears of this story of, of what Ruth has done for Naomi and he shows her favor that she did not fully deserve. This is a foreign woman that came to their land. There was a lot of animosity between the Moabites and the Jewish people. And she comes to this land and he shows her this favor. See, he continues going and he actually says to his, his, uh, his workers later on in this chapter, he says, look, stick, let Ruth stick close to you. And when she's going and she's gleaning in this field, why don't you take a little bit extra out of the bundles and drop it on the ground for her? Let's show her a little extra favor. You know, like how many dads, when your kid's like, can I please get candy? And, and we're like, all right, just one. And then I'll end up coming out of the store with three like cartfuls of candy, you know? Like this is, this is the heart of Boaz. He's like, all right, just give her everything that she deserves. Like she doesn't even deserve it fully, but it's yours. He's got this heart that is just opened up to Ruth. Now, these are three very natural things that are taking place, but many of us know how this story continues. So Ruth ends up, my daughter just lit up so much when I said candy. Look at now she's like grabbing her mom, loving on her. That is, (laughs) and uh, Ruth and Boaz end up getting married. They end up having a son named Obed. Obed gets married and has a son named Jesse. Jesse gets married, has a son that he then trains to to go out and to be a shepherd in the fields. This little shepherd boy is in the fields and he, he spends his days there. And this little shepherd boy is named David who just so happens to become king. 
Now 28 generations pass by and a prophecy is fulfilled that out of the seed of David, a Messiah will come. You see, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz were partaking in something that was very natural from the outside. It looked like people that are just sticking together, going out and working, showing a little favor to each other. But little did they know that their natural life would lead to the most supernatural experience that this world has ever seen. Out of the seed of David came our Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, I believe that there are people in this room that find themselves day in and day out doing things that just seem very natural to them. But I believe that they are a setup for a supernatural experience for the people that are around you. And I, I, and I honestly, I was just talking to a dear friend of mine, Rand, this, this past week, and we were talking about uh, the gifts of healing and, and prophecy. And oftentimes what, what can happen is we make an emphasis on some of the gifts of the Spirit and think that they are all of the gifts of the Spirit. Like in our stream, absolutely, I, I love healing. I love hearing testimonies of healing when somebody is touched by the Lord and their body is healed. Beautiful, love it. I love it when, when the voice of God is spoken and we get to experience how personal and how real he is in our lives. But how many of you know that that's not all the gifts that are named in the Bible? There are more. There are plenty more gifts that are named in the Bible. And what I'm afraid has happened is that we're looking at our lives, our getting up in the morning, our going to work, and we're comparing it with the stories that we hear from others. And we think that what we are doing is not good enough. We think that what we are doing isn't, isn't hitting that bar of spirituality, isn't hitting the, the healing power that's supposed to be flowing through my life day in and day out. And as I sleep, my shadow isn't healing anybody yet. So what I am doing must not be enough. Well, you see, Ruth gleaned in a field. Ruth made sure that she could eat for the day. Ruth was making sure that Naomi was taken care of and Boaz was being a good guy. Now, I would say what took place there in the natural is something greater than probably any of us have ever experienced in our lives. Giving birth to the Messiah, I don't know, I haven't done that yet, personally. But it was in this relationship that this great experience was able to be taken place. So I, I, was, uh, I was sent a video from my mom's fiance, John. Uh, hey John, if you're watching, see you next weekend. And in this video, there was this guy that was, he's the, um, the CEO of Meguiar's Car Wax. Uh, are you guys familiar with Meguiar's? Any car people in here? So Meguiar's is like the car wax. It's what, what people use to, to wax up their cars and make them look beautiful. Dude loves Jesus. He is on fire for Jesus. And he was saying that throughout most of his life, in his younger years, he was um, just really torn. He felt called into ministry, and he was about to resign from his job to go into what he believed was full-time ministry, which looked like standing behind a pulpit. How many of you know there's only so many pulpits that can be stood behind? We need ministry to happen everywhere, all the time, 
in every situation that we find ourselves in. We are ministers of Christ, whether we're standing on a stage or whether we're behind a counter. It does not matter where you are. Jesus is more than enough, and he is wanting to move through your life. And this man, what he said is, what he realized is that he was, he was almost taken for granted the opportunities that he found himself in. And so what he said for him, what he does is he likes to chum around, as he calls it. For anybody that's, a, that's into fishing in here, you, can, you throw chum out, and it's, it's food for fish. And if fish are hungry, they'll go to the food. And if they're not, they'll just continue going on and they'll pass by. And so in his daily life, he realized that he didn't need to just go out and start preaching all the time. He needed to be a witness of Jesus. Now, that didn't mean that he just did this you know, lifestyle thing where he's trying to be cool and making Jesus seem cool. Jesus doesn't need to be, be shown that he's cool. All right, he's the desire of the nations. We don't need to add anything to what he has already done. We need to transform ourselves. We need to constantly become aware of who he is and become into his image. We don't, to, we don't need to be like the world plus, okay? We're not a better version of what's happening here in this world. We're not giving people a better life to live. We're showing the world what it looks like to go from death to life, all right? And so he says he's chumming around. He's, he's constantly allowing people to know how it is that he lives his life, who he lives his life for, who he has given his life to. And then he would find that people, when they are hungry, they would come and they would partake of that food. But how many know there are more gifts of the Spirit than just a few? Let me, let me get back on track here. This Bible would cooperate with me. The Bible says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It is not wrong to seek after the gifts of the Spirit as long as we know what they are meant for. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that you would be witnesses of me. The Holy Spirit is meant to move through your life so that it would, your life would point to the man Jesus Christ. Not so that your life would point to a better version, as I said, of the world. Not so that we can have a health, wealth, and success here in this life. Though I believe that Jesus wants us to be successful, the point is that he is to be glorified through our lives, through the giftings that he has given each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who powers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, as the New King James says, the word of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, I think the New King James wins this version right here. I, to, the, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, and all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, then helping, administrating, 
and various kinds of tongues. That helping is also translated in different translations as service or hospitality. Max and I were talking this, this past Sunday after church about the supernatural gift of hospitality. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Like, I have a friend that is, he must be out with his children right now. He is in here, Spencer, that operates in the gift of helps, like beyond anything I have ever experienced before. I have witnessed Jesus through his acts of service in a way that I have not experienced that through the lives of any other believer. I'm sorry for those that have have been service-oriented people, but I'm telling you, this guy lives a life of service to people. And he does it in a way that invites me to a supernatural relationship of who Jesus is. See, this is what it's supposed to look like. It's something that's completely natural to him. It's because it's a gift that has been given to him to display who Jesus is to the world. Like, I mean so much so that he's the guy that, you, that will be there when you call and he is the guy that will be there when you don't call. He will be there whether you need him or not. He is ready and willing to serve so that you can experience the life of Jesus here upon this earth. Now to him, literally, it's nothing that he's waiting for this you know, moment for anointing to come in and, oh, there he is. Now I'm gonna be service-minded. No, it's something, it's a gift that the Holy Spirit has given him to display who Jesus is to the world. And now it's important for him to constantly chum around in the same way that what we said, we got to chum around. We got to tell people to show them to, so that they would know where this heart of love has actually come from. So that when the Holy Spirit is working through our lives, that we know that he is witnessing who Jesus is. And so we chum around here in this life. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. There's more gifts than this. There's more that are listed here in our Bibles. What I wanna do this morning is I wanna take the pressure off. I I want us to get rid of this hierarchy of spiritual gifts. I want us to all know that each and every person in this room has been anointed for a purpose. And it doesn't matter if you're behind this pulpit or in mire. God is here and he wants to move through your life. Whew, I am preaching this morning. I can feel it. All right, Lord, here we go. For as in one body, we have many members. Romans 12, verse four. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Your ability to walk in mercy is a supernatural gift. Your ability to lead in your workplace is a supernatural gift. It may seem natural to you, but it is supernatural to the world that is around you. And like I said, we aren't supposed to just be the world plus, not just a better version of a leader, but to lead in the way that Jesus led his life. 
to, to be merciful in the way that Jesus showed mercy to this world, to actually be generous because God himself is a generous God. He showed his generosity through the sacrifice of his only son. You see, there are spiritual gifts that are sitting in this room that you've looked at yourself and you've said, well, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a mom. I'm just a, you know, I'm just a construction worker. There is a supernatural element to the natural things that you are doing in this life that are meant to set up encounters for Jesus Christ to be seen here upon this earth. I was... Um, I, I, I worked at this restaurant in town back in, right when I first moved here, 2000, when did I get saved? Oh Lord, 2008. And I was working at this restaurant and I, I had this reputation there because I, I would always, I had to walk to work, I had a DUI, I was, I was freshly saved, got the DUI, don't worry, pre-Christ. And, uh, and I, was, I had lost my license for about two years and so I had to walk to work, and it, was, it wasn't too long of a walk, maybe 20, 30 minutes, something like that. And I had this little tiny uh, New Testament Bible, and I would read it on my way into work. It's a little Bible, and then I'd put it in my pocket when I would head into work. But when it was time to, to work on the line, I would take it out and I would put it in my, my mailbox. I was a manager at the time at this restaurant, and my mailbox was clear. It was see-through. And so... Every worker that was in the place saw my Bible sitting in the mailbox. And so I got this, this nickname. They called me Thumper after Bible Thumper. And I thought, great, I like it. You're saying that I, I, I love the Bible. I can go with that. Like, that's a good nickname to have. I've had worse. And, uh, and so I just had this reputation. You know, I was a very hard worker, very diligent. I excelled in, in, throughout the restaurant constantly, worked my way up and did everything that I could do to, to be a good steward over the job that I was given. Honestly, the, the things that I learned in that time, I am still to this day utilizing the skill sets in the restaurants that I own today from the time that I worked in the restaurant back then. I was a very diligent worker, but everybody knew where I stood. I wasn't overly preachy, but they knew why I was so happy. They knew why I was such a hardworking person. They knew that when Thumper was there, we would get some work done. Like we just, it's just the way that it was. And there was a few, few people that I had met in my time there. And I will never forget the day that this, this, this little Catholic girl comes and, and, uh, and she knocks knocks on the door in the office. I was sitting in the office and I opened the door and she just comes barreling into the office with tears streaming down her face. You see, she knew where to go when a problem was coming. When we're honest about who we are, when we're throwing our chum out there, there's gonna be fish that are gonna pass us by. But when they are some that are hungry, they're gonna come and they're gonna partake. They're gonna eat of what Jesus has for them. And this is where it's important, whether we like it or not, we are leading the people that we are walking with in this life. The Bible says that we are walking epistles read and known by all men. You may be the only Bible that your coworker ever reads. And it is important for us to live our lives then uprightly with integrity, with character to actually show and display who Jesus is meant to be so that they, we don't do some weird bait and switch thing 
where we try to be cool, and then we're like, oh, but actually, I'm actually holy. I know I wasn't acting like it, but hey, hey, I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know, let's actually be honest about who we are. Like, it is cool to be holy, for he is holy. It is the coolest thing to walk around in righteousness. It is the coolest thing in the world to be who you were created to actually be. You don't need to be a lesser version. You don't need to make Jesus cool. He is the desire of the nations. And when people are desiring, they will find him. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 the door walks. She starts crying. And it built this relationship. I was able to walk through with her some things that she was dealing with, some really difficult relational issues that she had that were starting to happen as a result of her changing the way that she was living her life. She was turning this way from this way and heading down this path. And people didn't like it. People are not going to like it. Do you know the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake? It's a good thing to be persecuted is what that means. It's okay. We need to grow a spine and be real with who we actually are. And so... This is really cool. Well, her, she had this little friend group at the, at the restaurant that I was at, and, and there's her, this other young guy that was, I, he was in high school at the time when I first met him. Weird dude. And, uh, but we started to develop this relationship. And, and I, you know, I started inviting him to church, invited her to church. We were attending another church at the time, and I'm just you know, slowly inviting people to church. And I remember sitting there on a Sunday morning and I looked down the road to the 10 coworkers that were sitting with me from, from the restaurant that I was working at. You see, I wasn't an overly preachy person, but I was very honest. And I still to this day am. Every single one of my employees knows where I stand. They know that I'm a pastor. They know what I believe in. They know what line I will and will not cross. It is very clear in the way that I conduct my life and my daily life at, at, at Mudpenny. And so we're going, and, and this guy, he just keeps coming around. And I'm like, all right, Lord, there's obviously something on this. And so we start to form a relationship. Well, we find ourselves, he's in the, the basement of my mom's house when we had just started the well. It wasn't the well, it was, it was people worshiping, which, uh, praise God, it's still just people worshiping. And it's a family of people. It was then and it was now. We're in a building. Doesn't make the family any different. And so we're going and he, my mom, who's the, who's the lead pastor of this church, she gives him a prophetic word and she says to him, I just see that the armor of God is being placed upon your life right now. There's something that's happening in your life and God is placing his armor upon you. I want you to go and if Matthew doesn't give you a Bible, you know, he will or he'll give you one. I want you to go and read what that actually means. And so he's like, oh, okay, cool. And uh, it's a few weeks later. No, actually, I think it was only a week later. We found ourselves, I had invited him to a conference. Now, this was an unbeliever. He did not grow up in a Christian home. I don't even know if he had, how many times he had walked into a church. Like, he was a complete unbeliever, but a, just a heart of gold. And we walk into this conference, and somebody walks up to him, and he says this. He said, hey, um, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I feel like God is putting his armor upon you. And I just watch his face like, the lights go on. Everything connects about how real this God actually is. 
We go back to my house after the conference, and he's sitting on the couch next to me. And he goes, and we're talking, he goes, what was that? Like, how is it that your mom and this guy that didn't know each other say the exact same thing? And I said, well, that's prophecy. That's God trying to show you how real he is and how much he cares and loves for you. And he goes, I want to prophesy. And I said, you can. 100% you can prophesy. He goes, how do you do it? And I said, well, you got to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You need his spirit to come upon you, to live within you. And he will show you things about this life that you cannot know except for by him. He says, all right, let's do it. And I said, well, there's a prerequisite. You see, he, he does want to know that you can do things for him, but he really cares that he knows that he has your heart. And I said, I first want to pray with you if you want to, to give your life to Jesus. Oh, Lord. So we sat there, just a couple of young kids. I think I was 22 years old at the time. And he's sitting there and he goes, I want to do that. And so we pray together that Jesus would be Lord over his life. And then I pray and I say, Lord, I pray that you would fill him with your spirit, that you would baptize him with your presence, that he would be able to prophesy. And all of a sudden, like a fire from heaven I'm, this is not, I know that us up here, we, we love exaggeration. We're good at it. We're pros. A fire from heaven comes upon this man, and he is sweating on my couch. So much so, I asked him to get off my couch. Like, I, I am, see, that was the exaggeration part. I didn't actually do that. That was a lie. <laughs> that was a complete lie. Uh, so, he, he's sweating, out of nowhere, because the Holy Spirit is coming and burning bright upon his life with his fire. My friend Rand that I met with last week, he said this to me. He said, I want to be a fire like that fire that Moses saw, the burning bush, that when people walk by me, they do a double take because they know there's something burning different about that bush. See, it wasn't uncommon for a bush to be on fire in the middle of the desert. There is something uncommon when a, a sovereign God, though, inhabits that flame. And so this fire burns bright upon him. Fast forward, oh man, 12 years later maybe, something like that. This man is now running my company. He's married to the Catholic girl. They have two children and one on the way, and it's Spencer and Kaylee that are sitting in the back of this room. You see, Jesus is the desire of the nations. When we're chumming around and we're actually honest about who God has created us to be, the fish are going to find the food. But we've got to be honest. We need to be upright in our integrity and in our character as well. It is just as important as that to walk in the fruit of the Spirit as it is to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. He desires to move through your life and your workplace beyond anything that you could even comprehend. He is desiring to move through the most natural day-to-day -day living of your life. What may seem natural to you is supernatural to the world that is around you. Like I started us off, Spencer is one of those people that walks in the, in the supernatural gift of hospitality, of service to this world. And now this person that I led to the Lord, I have personally experienced an encounter with Jesus because of how he lives his life. What was very natural to me to walk in to put my Bible inside of a, 
a clear mailbox, opened up an encounter for that workplace to be transformed. I was able to see, I think it was like seven people that were led to the Lord during that time, three of which ended up coming to the well just because I was burning bright and honest about who I was. Now, I desire for each and every person in this room to have those experiences. And I desire for us to take the pressure off of what we think it's supposed to look like to have a kingdom culture, to walk in the spirit in, the, in our daily living. I do not, at the same time, I'm not doing the opposite, minimizing healing or minimizing prophecy. But what I am doing is there is a disproportionate emphasis on something that was never meant to happen. We need to elevate every way that the Spirit wants to move through our lives and celebrate that so that Jesus can be glorified in all of his nature, in all of his character. He's more than healer. He is 100% healer, but he is also giver. He is also all merciful. He is also the one who serves sacrificially. Jesus is the desire of the nations and your workplace needs to know about him. Your family needs to know about him and they need to know who it is that is moving through your life. They need to know who it is that is moving through my life. See, this message, this is not just at you. This was, this was rocking me yesterday as I was with the Lord where I, I was repenting for, for, for minimizing the things that come natural to me that are meant to be a supernatural experience for the world that is around me. Hallelujah. Hmm. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would open up, that you would give us eyes to see this morning that you would give us eyes to see the giftings that you have placed within us. Whether it's that gift of intercession, the gift of faith to be able to, to do impossible things, to believe for the impossibilities in our natural everyday life, to be merciful, to be generous. Lord, whatever that gift is, that your word says that you distribute to us as you will, let us see that gift and not take it for granted but to be a light that is burning bright upon this earth. Take the pressure off of us, Jesus, to try to perform for you. But Lord, that we would truly walk hand in hand with you, God. That we would truly walk with you and do it in all diligence, in all honor, and in integrity, God. That Jesus would be glorified here upon this earth. God, I pray for a revival that transcends anything that we have ever experienced before, that takes place through a bunch of natural circumstances, through situations that seemingly just happen. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like as if the heavens open up, we can see clearly what it is that you were doing. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see, give us a mind to understand what it is that the Spirit is saying over our lives. Help us to walk with you, Lord, in our day-to-day -day living. Amen. I feel like there's been so many times where we've, I know for my own life, that it seemed like I was just getting up and going to work. And it took me, it took the, the process of time taking place when I get to look back and I see how it is that Jesus was involved in all of that. I know that there's people in this room that have experienced that too, where it seemed like in the middle of the chaos, you had no idea until you get a little bit further down the road, and all of a sudden we look back and see 
how tightly involved Jesus is with those experiences. See, I believe that even though you may not feel it, even though you may not see it right now, God is actively moving in your lives in every single day. What may seem natural to you is supernatural to the world around you. And so I wanna challenge you to lean into those gifts, to lean into those things that, that, that maybe you seem to be taking even for granted, to lean into that and say, Jesus, how can we ramp up this gift of leadership upon my life? Jesus, how can we ramp up that your Holy Spirit would be able to flow through me in a way that is merciful, in the same way that Boaz was with Ruth? You see, it was just him being a nice guy, but this was supernatural from God himself that gave that favor to him so that the prophecies that were spoken would be fulfilled, that our Messiah would be born, that he would become from the seed of David. What may be natural to you is supernatural to the world around you. I want you to wake up every morning and just say that to yourself. Lord, show me what is natural to me, that it would be a supernatural encounter for those that I interact with today. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were impacted by this message. For more information about The Well Grand Rapids, please visit our website at www.thewellgr.com.